All right, you may be seated. And good morning. I think we are trying to find some batteries. So if anybody has double A batteries, we can get the speaker back uh, going this morning. But in the meantime, if you need to move a little closer uh, to be able to hear, uh, that is fine. But we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, and we'll be starting back in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, starting back in verse 21. If you remember back from August the 8th, this was a two-part series that we'll finish up today on disease, death, and deliverance. Disease, death, and deliverance. My introduction this morning is very short and very simple. Pastor Tom is home. Amen. Praise the Lord. Tom, I know you're listening. You and Stacy, we love you. God has answered our prayers. God has been kind. Our God is good. Our God is faithful. So when we think about disease, Pastor Tom and many others have been struck with a terrible disease. We think about death. Our brother was on the verge of death. But then when we think about deliverance, we have seen our God deliver our brother in his kindness and in his mercy. And we've seen it in the lives of many in our church family. I think of Mr. Emilio. I think of Miss Rachel. And I could go on. God has been kind. You're here this morning. God in his grace and his kindness has given us another day. And just like we have seen the kindness and the power of God in our midst in these last few weeks, this time of suffering, this time of hardship, as we read through this passage again, we will see the power of Christ. We will see our Lord, how he has defeated disease. He has defeated death and he does bring deliverance. So let's pray, and then we'll read Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43. Let's pray together. God, you are kind, and you are good. We could never thank you enough. We could never praise you enough. And God, we recognize this morning, if it would have been your will to take our brother Tom to be home, to be with his Lord and Savior Jesus in heaven. God, you still would have been good and kind and gracious. But God, in your divine providence, you saw fit to bring healing to our brother. And you've seen fit to heal many in the midst of our church family. And for that, we're thankful. You're not finished with us yet. There's still work to be done of glorifying your name and building your kingdom to the ends of the earth. 
Father, I pray today as we read through this passage and as we walk through this passage, may our hearts be encouraged by the goodness, by the power, by the kindness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray together. Amen. So Mark chapter 5, we're going to read 21 through 43, but then we're going to focus on 35 through 43 today. Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and he said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, let me review just briefly verses 21 through 34. Jesus had healed uh, the man that was possessed with the demon the, in the land of the Gerasenes, and he comes back to the city of Capernaum on the east side of the lake. And as he comes back there of the Sea of Galilee, 
one of the rulers, Jairus, comes to Jesus and he's desperate. And he falls at his feet and he's begging for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And Luke tells us it was his only daughter. So I thought about that in my own life of only having one daughter. How overwhelming that would be if she was sick and to the point of death. I would be a desperate man as well. I can tell you that. And so we see that with Jairus. And he's a man of, of faith, of believing that Jesus could heal his daughter. Now, while that is going on, Jesus begins to go with Jairus to his house. But there's another woman. You know, Jairus was a part of kind of the upper class, being a ruler of the synagogue. He would have been a man of prosperity, a man of position. And there's this other lady who comes, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And she would have been poor and needy and a social outcast. We talked about all these things. But you know what? She was desperate as well. It doesn't matter what your financial class is. We are all desperate. We are all in need, whether you realize that or not. And she realized it. And so she had heard about Jesus. And so she comes and she's in the crowd, which she really shouldn't have been there because she was unclean. But she knew she had to get to Jesus. And we learned that she simply touched the hem of his garment. And she was made well. Power goes out from Christ and heals her completely. It was a divine miracle and she knew it and Jesus knew it. But nobody else knew it at first. And they're like, Jesus, why are you questioning who touched you? There's so many people, but Jesus knew what had happened. And he then has that conversation there in verse 34 as she comes before him in, in fear and trembling. And Jesus tells her that her faith had made her well, first of all, spiritually, that she was forgiven in Christ. And then there's another word when it says she was healed of the physical healing that she experienced. So that's the context. That's the background. And so now we come back to Jairus. Jesus was on his way to Jairus's house to basically see Jairus's daughter. And look at verse 35. You know, while he, while Jesus is still speaking... So speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, there came from the ruler's house there some messengers who said, your daughter is dead. I thought about those words, Mr. Bill. Those would be some of the most devastating words for anyone to ever hear. Your daughter is dead. And there's been many people that have heard those terrible words. I'm thankful that in God's grace and kindness, I haven't heard those words. But trying to put myself in the same shoes as Jairus, he would have been devastated. He knew that she was sick. He knew that she was on the point of death, but now to hear that she had died. There's no telling all the feelings and the emotions and the thoughts that were going through the mind and the heart of this man. They go on to say, why trouble the teacher any further? She's dead now, Jairus. There's no need to trouble Jesus anymore. We know he's the great teacher. They knew that Jesus taught with authority. They had seen it. They knew that Jesus could heal. They had seen it. 
but to resurrect somebody from the dead? You know, there's only three accounts in the Gospels of Jesus resurrecting someone. There was the account of Lazarus, which had not happened yet. There's this account that we're going to see. And then there was the one of the, the widow's son of Nain. And Jairus may not have known uh, about that. And so he's devastated. I want to share with you this morning, though, when it says, why trouble the teacher? Hear me say this, please. You are never a trouble or a bother to Jesus. I don't care what you're going through this morning. Jesus wants you to cry out to him. It could be a job situation. It could be finances. It could be family relationship stuff. Or it could be disease. We are never a bother to Jesus. Amen? The hundreds of thousands of prayers that went up for Pastor Tom and others in our midst were not a bother to our Lord and Savior Jesus. He wants to hear the hearts of his people. Now look at verse 36. Jesus overhears the conversation. Of course he does. Because Jesus cares. And he says to Jairus, look at what it says in the text. To the ruler of the synagogue, which is Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Jairus, don't be scared of what has happened to your daughter. Don't be overwhelmed with the circumstances. Don't give in to the despair. Don't listen to what others are saying to not bother me. Jairus, the same faith that you've had from the beginning of falling at my feet, believing that I could heal your daughter, you need to keep on believing. You need to keep on trusting in me, is what Jesus is saying. That word belief is the same Greek word for saving faith, which means to completely entrust yourself to Jesus. And I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you this morning, whatever it is you're going through, you need to completely trust in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not in the faith, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to turn from your sin and you need to look to Christ for forgiveness. And you know what he'll do? He'll forgive you, he'll give you a new heart, and he'll give you eternal life. The account in Luke even expresses, Jesus says that your daughter will be made well. So Jesus says that on the front end. But Jairus is going to have to believe what Jesus is saying. By the way, believer, we have to believe the truth, the sufficiency, the inerrancy, the authority of God's word in every area of our life. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what anybody else says. God's word is truth. Let's look at John 11, 21 through 26. There was a similar situation with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. John 11, 21 through 26. 
Lazarus has died. It's been four days. They're wondering why it took so long for Jesus to get there. And he comes to Martha. Martha and Jesus begin to have this conversation there in verse 21 in John 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, she knew who Jesus was. He wouldn't have died. You would have healed him. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother, he will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She understood Jesus, the final resurrection. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Let those words sink deep into your heart. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks something very important. Do you believe this? Do you believe this morning? Do you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he's coming back one day to set up his kingdom, his rule, and his reign of all things being made right? I believe this morning. And Jairus was going to have to believe the word that Jesus was saying him that his daughter would be made well. Warren Wearsby said this, When God delays, do we wonder why? We probably all do, don't we? I'm sure Martha was wondering. I'm sure Jairus was wondering why. When circumstances are difficult, you know what we battle? We battle doubts. We battle fears. Can I be transparent with you? When Pastor Tom went back on that ventilator for the second time, I battled a lot of doubt. Struggling. Hurting for my friend and his family. And wondering what God was going to do. But you know what the answer to doubt is? It's faith. It's continuing to trust in Christ. It's continuing to pray. Trusting that our Lord is good and he's kind and whatever his will is, it will be for his glory and for the good of his people. And you know what your pastor had to do? I had to keep reminding myself of those truths. Moment by moment by moment by moment. And I struggled, and you probably struggled. And the Pascarella family probably struggled to an extent that we can't even begin to fathom. And so Jairus here, the struggle is real for him. Let's go back to the text. Go back to Mark 5, 37. Let's see what happens next. It says, he, talking about Jesus, allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And we may wonder, well, why is Jesus doing that? Why only three of the disciples? Well, the text doesn't specifically say, but for Jesus, this wasn't a magic show. This wasn't a horse and pony show. This wasn't about fame and fortune. Jesus was going to do something for his glory and for the good of this family, but ultimately 
Why did Jesus come? He came to rescue his people from their sin. Yes, Jesus is the divine healer. But more than that, he's the divine savior. And this wasn't about crowds. This wasn't about popularity. This was about Jesus just showing that he truly was the Messiah, the savior, the chosen one. And so in his divine providence, he only allows Peter, James, and John to come. So then in verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. So they come to Jairus's house and look what's happening. Jesus sees this commotion. People are weeping and they're wailing loudly. Now let me give you a little bit of the context. Whenever someone died in the Jewish culture of the first century there, they would actually hire professional mourners. And depending on how rich your family was, depending on how many they had. And so you would have not just the family that was there weeping, you would have these professional mourners that would be there and they would be weeping and wailing and there would have been flutes and it would have been a very loud thing. So typically for us in our funeral services, there's a kind of a seriousness and a somberness. Well, it would have been completely different. It, it would have been lots of emotions and, you know, Honestly, and I think we'll see this in the text, some of it really wasn't genuine. These were just people that were hired. They were doing what they were paid to do. And we'll see how they respond to Jesus, that their hearts were not always in it. So this girl, she had been dead. We don't really know all the time context for hours, maybe a day. And so there's this weeping and wailing that's going on. Look at verse 39. Jesus enters the house and then he says something. Jesus asks a question. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? Why is all this going on? The child, she's not dead. She's sleeping. She's not dead. She's sleeping. Look at their response. In verse 40, they laughed at him. Guys, these professional mourners, the family, they knew this girl was dead. At this point, she was probably turning blue. There was no doubt in their mind that she was dead. And so when Jesus says she's not dead, she's only sleeping, they thought Jesus was crazy. The King James version, version says they laughed at him to scorn. That means they laughed at him with an attitude of superiority. Jesus, you're a fool. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. This girl is dead. Jesus, do you not understand that? Can I give you some application? Everybody, please hear me on this. Don't, at, don't ever laugh at Jesus. Don't ever laugh at God. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to be proven wrong. And God's going to be proven right. You know what Psalms 14.1 says? The fool is the man who believes that there's no God. Don't be a fool this morning. Jesus is God. 
And these mourners were being foolish because they were not believing what Jesus said. Psalms 115.3 says that God is on his throne in the heavens and he does as he pleases. He's God and we are not. You know what our response should be? Not to laugh, but to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves, and to trust God in everything. Wearsby says this, unbelief laughs at God's word. You know what's wrong with our country right now? We don't believe in God. And we laugh at him, and we mock him, we laugh him to scorn, because we don't believe his word. You better wake up. And the sad reality is, there's a lot of churches, it's the same way. Do we really believe God's word? And you know what, Everglades? We better not ever stop asking ourselves that. Do we really believe God's word? Do we live according to God's word as a church and as individuals? May God be merciful to us if we don't. And may we repent. Now, why does Jesus use this word sleeping? I mean, is she just unconscious? Is that what Jesus is getting at? That's not what Jesus meant. Okay, Jesus knew she was dead. The girl was physically dead. But this is what Jesus is getting at. Her body had no more life, but her spirit, her soul was not dead. It was still alive in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes, this girl was dead physically, but she was alive in Christ because he's the one who's in control of our souls. Death is temporary for the body of the believer. Why? Because one day God will give us a new and glorified body. So when you die, you're going to go be with Christ, your soul, your spirit. But then there comes a a day of the final resurrection when you receive a glorified body. Amen. Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. You can go there. The perishable body puts on the imperishable at the second coming of Jesus. So this little girl hadn't experienced final death or spiritual death of burning forever in hell. Why? Because God was being gracious and kind to her. Her soul was not separated from God. This little girl was dead physically, but her soul, her spirit was with God. And we'll see something interesting as we keep walking through the text. But look back at verse 40. So they laugh at Jesus. Jesus is not real happy about this, by the way. It doesn't give a lot of detail, but you know what he does? He puts them all outside. Now, how he went about doing that, it doesn't say. But Jesus does not allow them in the room. He puts them outside. Interesting. He then takes the child's father and the mother and those that were with him, which was Peter, James, and John. 
And then they go in to where the child was. So whatever room, part of the house this child was, they go in. Now look at verse 41. This is such a compassionate verse, such a loving verse of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at 41. He takes her by the hands. Jesus doesn't have to do that. He could have simply spoke. Jesus could have healed her any way that he chose to, but he actually takes her by the hand in front of her parents, and then he says something in Aramaic, Talitha Kumi. Now, Aramaic for the Jewish people was their common language of that time. That word, Talitha, actually means little girl or little lamb. It's a very endearing term that Jesus uses. And then he uses the term kumi, if I'm saying that correctly, which means arise. As I was studying this, the word there, arise, it's an imperative verb. So I want you to think about that, Jimbo. He's telling this little girl who is dead to arise, to stand up. How can a dead person arise and stand up? They can't. Only God could give her the ability to stand up and arise. And look at verse 42. This is awesome. Turn back my page here. 42. Immediately. Mark loves that word immediately. The girl got up. And not only did she get up, she began walking. She was 12 years of age. Just like that. Jesus resurrected her. And she begins walking. There was no rehab. There was no therapy. Because you see, when Jesus performed a divine miracle of healing somebody, it was complete. There was no show. This wasn't about popularity. Jesus very lovingly, very caring towards this family, very compassionately resurrects this little girl. Guys, don't miss that. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Only Jesus could do this. And he chooses to do this. And I want to tell you this morning, think about this spiritually. Only Jesus can take your dead heart and sin and make you alive. You can't do that. I can't do that. Pastor Doug can't do that. Pastor Jim can't do that. Only Jesus can grant you, give you eternal life. Cry out to Christ. Repent. Look to Christ. The gospel is going forth this morning. The gospel is mighty to save. The gospel takes dead hearts and makes them alive in Christ. Will you receive Christ this morning? Will you admit your sin and your need for a Savior? And you'll be forgiven and you'll have new life and you'll have eternal life. And just like this little girl was able to begin to walk and later we'll see that she eats, you can begin to walk in newness of life because of Jesus.
Do you know him today? You're interesting in verse 42 when it talks about she gets up. In Luke 8.55, you don't have to turn there, but it actually says her spirit returned to her body. Remember I told you she was physically dead, but she wasn't spiritually dead because God was granting her life and her spirit returns to her body and she is up walking around. And who's the first face that this little girl gets to see? It's the face of Jesus. Mr. Bill, whenever he takes us home, brother, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, the first face you will see is the face of Jesus. That's good news for the believer. Amen? I think about Fanny Crosby. I've shared this story many times, but it's a good one. I'll share it again. She was blind at a very young age. Something the doctor did didn't work the first few weeks of her being a baby. And she had a gentleman later in life came up to her. Are you not angry at God that you can't see? And by the way, if you don't know Fanny Crosby, she wrote many wonderful hymns of the faith. Blessed Assurance is one that she wrote. And she was like, in no way am I mad at God. Because the very first face that I will see will be the face of Jesus awesome she knew that she would see christ one day all right let's wrap this up verse 43 actually the end of verse 42 they are immediately overcome with amazement i'm sure they were if my little girl was dead and she was made alive by christ only god can do that they were overcome with amazement. And so Jesus says this in verse 43. He strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. It's interesting. It's so normal in one sense of Jesus just telling them, give her something to eat. She's walking around. It's as if she wasn't dead. She's now eating. And then the text doesn't really say, but many times Jesus would tell those that he had healed to not say anything. And really in those texts, it doesn't specifically say why. But I think through the context of Scripture, it's kind of what I've already said. For Jesus, this wasn't about popularity. This wasn't about the crowds lifting him up that he would overthrow the Romans and he would establish this earthly kingdom right then and there. Why did Jesus come? He came to die. He came to die for our sin, to rescue us. If Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross, there'd be no salvation. And nothing was going to deter Jesus from that. So this is why the context of Jesus telling them, don't make a big deal about this. I mean, everybody was ultimately going to know that this little girl was now alive. But Jesus told them, don't make a big deal about it. But they knew. And one day, by the way, Jesus is coming back and he will make all things right. So in conclusion, 
As I was studying through this, one of the commentaries that I read, I thought this was, was interesting. Jesus never preached funeral messages. I've had to preach several funeral messages. Jesus never did. He'd always resurrect the person from the dead. Because <laughs> he's Jesus. Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, the widow's son at Nain. You remember when John the Baptist was struggling in discouragement of whether Jesus was the Messiah? Here's what Jesus said in Luke 7, 22. The blind received their sight. The lame walk. The leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. I mean, ultimately, this passage is letting everybody know Jesus is the Messiah. John MacArthur said this, In Christ there's no longer reason to fear sickness, to fear disease, to fear demons, to fear tragedy, or even to fear death. Pastor Tom texted us something this morning, Pastor Jim, Doug, and myself. He said, God has awakened me and renewed me. Amen. God brought Pastor Tom from the verge of death to newness of life. And even more important than that, way before this sickness, God gave Tom a new heart. God granted Tom salvation. So physically, yeah, we can go to God and our God does provide healing. But I want to encourage you this morning. Do you have a new heart? Have you been awakened? Have you been made new in Christ? Do you need God to bring your dead heart and sin to life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he will. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. <clears throat> Your word is true. And Jesus, we've seen in this passage, you are the divine deliverer. You are the resurrection and the life. Jesus, only you can defeat death. And you have. You defeated death. You defeated Satan through your death, burial, and resurrection. And we're just waiting for the consummation of that. Revelation 21, of you wiping every tear from our eye. God, you dwelling with your people. No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more sin. No more dying. No more violence, no more conflict. Jesus, us simply being with you. Oh, we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Jesus, we know that you are the Lord. and This is your kingdom. You're ruling and you're reigning and you're building your kingdom to the ends of the earth of every tribe and tongue and nation. And we as your people are called to live out the gospel to live out the good news. And so may we be encouraged today by the truth of your word that Jesus, you care and you love and you empower. We've been set free, we've been made new and may we share this glorious gospel of grace with everyone that we meet. We love you, Lord. And we ask these things in the name of Christ.
Amen. Let's all stand and we will worship our Lord through song.